Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello, 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 and welcome to June and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast, which of course is a fantasy football podcast. I am Scott Pianowski, your Tuesday every other week host. And today we got a great guest, man. Uh, if you're a fantasy football player, you know about Rich Rebar. Uh, you, you followed him bouncing around the industry to different places. You can currently find his excellent work at Sharp Football Analysis. He is the Swami of the Konami Code. We're going to talk a lot of Konami today. We're going to talk a lot about just get you going for best ball drafts, get you going for the summer, get you going for the 2021 fantasy football season. Enough of my talking. Hello, Rich Rebar. Scott, what is going on? This is uh, long overdue. Uh, we have followed each other on Twitter for a long time. Uh, we keep, seem to alternate missing each other at different FSGA and FSWA events. We've never met. We've never done a podcast together. This is kind of our first like real social interaction outside of just tweeting each other back and forth. Uh, as someone that grew up reading, you know, you and Mike's work, I mean, I'm, I'm a similar age to you. I'm sure we're not far off in age, but as growing up in the industry, reading your guys' work and the relationship you guys had as a, the kind of spousal relationship you guys, I, I would almost refer to it as, sure. or like a, <laughs> uh, it's really great to, and, and kind of an honor to really catch up with you and do some actual kind of work with you. I know it's just a podcast, but I'm excited to kind of riff with you. Thanks, man. And uh, yeah, much love to Mike Salfino, who I've been doing work with for about 17 years. And yeah, we, we are kind of like an old married couple when it comes to arguing but hey sometimes that's how you get to the good stuff uh rich you are somebody there are some people in, in fantasy who have taken ownership of things who have branded things you know we think of jj zacharisa with late round quarterback you came up with the konami code and not only was it smart i, I would even say brilliant when you came up with it it's more and more relevant as the shape of the quarterback position changes in fantasy football. And, and again, you know, much love to JJ Zacharyson. He had a great hook not that long ago that you could just take quarterbacks late. It wasn't really that big of a deal, but with the position changing, I, I think the Konami code has never been more important. So tell us uh, the birth of Konami, what it is, and then let's start to apply it to the 2021 fantasy football season. Yeah, you know, that article uh, came out in, in 2013. And I know you have some articles longer than that out. But, you know, for me, it's like to have an article that's almost a decade old and still is getting references really cool. Uh, you know, when it came out, you know, it's literally just like kind of how the perception of you have to have a good quarterback in fantasy to be good. It was when Tim Tebow was just coming off of starting. Terrell Pryor was going to be starting that season for the Raiders. And everyone was just like, well, he's a bad quarterback. It won't matter, which to a degree, it matters long term wise, you know, being a guy that's going to actually start for multiple seasons and multiple games in season. Like we'll have to question with Jalen Hurts moving forward. Uh, definitely kind of 
has an impact. But, you know, these guys get overlooked because they were just rushing. They were bad passers, perceived bad quarterbacks, but their rushing points were weighted because they scored the same amount of rushing points as running backs. You know, uh, a rushing yard, uh, 10 rushing yards was the equivalent of, you know, 25 passing yards. A, a, pass, a rushing touchdown is worth one and a half uh, passing touchdowns. So like think these things weren't getting accounted for and it gave these guys a higher floor than it was perceived in fantasy because they were quote unquote bad quarterbacks, but they were uh, effective fantasy quarterbacks and had higher floors and just wasn't being accounted for uh, because the league was such generated as pocket passers. Now it's started to shift. Now we're starting to get more guys have duality. Uh, you know, we're, we're getting the, the, the Deshaun Watsons uh, of the world, the Lamar Jacksons, the Dak Prescott's, the Josh Allen's, guys that are giving you that rushing upside that's getting weighted scoring wise but now they're turning in these elite passing seasons as well and a lot of seasons that people didn't think that they were capable of you know like Lamar and Josh Allen the past two years uh so now you're getting bust both worlds and it's really hard for just the pocket passers to kind of combat that uh when you brought up late round quarterback it's, it's a lot harder to arbitrage those rushing Per, uh, those rushing points when they're getting attached to passing points. We had what Mike Vick in 2010. We had Cam Newton in 2015. Those seasons were more sporadic. Now they're becoming a regularity and not just from one guy, from several guys. And those are the guys that are the top of your fantasy quarterback ADP right now. You have to pay for those guys uh, outside of the rookies this year, which we can talk about maybe your, your late round options of Justin Fields, Trey Lance, when do they start, Zach Wilson. Uh, and we're just seeing more of these guys come into the NFL you can even contribute Trevor Lawrence to that because he's a guy that has some mobility as well. Uh, just as natural evolution, there's more athletes playing every position. Uh, and it was only a matter of time before it came to be come to fruition in the quarterback position. So if you just look at just like the natural trend of what's going on in the NFL, last season, quarterbacks uh, posted 455 more fantasy points than the year prior just from rushing alone. Uh, quarterbacks had record highs in rushing attempts, 15.6%, rushing yards, 15.5%. Quarterbacks ran for 127 combined touchdowns last year. That was 24% of the league's rushing touchdown output. Uh, and then you look at just from like a fantasy stance, among the 11 quarterbacks last season to average more than 20 points per game, only Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady had single-digit percentage of their fantasy points come from rushing alone. Uh, it's just really hard to kind of crack in and combat those guys. When you look at guys like Kirk Cousins, uh, Drew Brees, Big Ben, Matt Ryan, Derek Carr, all those guys were top 15 passers and fantasy passing points per game. But those guys combined for just nine top six scoring fantasy games all season. Uh, it's crazy. Uh, it's, it's really hard to kind of really crack that ceiling. And we're seeing that people are cognizant of it now and they're paying for that elite duality production. Now, let's talk about what some of the old crusty people who still want to stand behind the the pocket quarterback, they've been saying, well, wait a minute. These running quarterbacks, they're going to get hurt because they're taking more hits. But I think that's kind of been disproven. Mm -hmm. uh, what, what's your take on the idea that, oh, I can't take Lamar Jackson. He's, he's, he's kind of slight of build. He's, he's going to take a kill shot. He's going to get hurt. My running quarterback's going to get hurt. I don't think that's really a, a problem or a reason to not draft these guys. But what do you say? Yeah, there's a lot of work done. I believe Edwin Porras, uh, Fantasy Points, has the most recent article that shows that quarterbacks uh, on designed runs actually get injured fewer than as they are getting hit in the pocket. And that kind of makes sense because you're aware you're getting tackled on designed runs or, you know, you're you as a ball carrier you're actually you know, understanding and be able preparing for a hit. Whereas a lot of guys that get hit in the quarterbacks are either hitting their thumb on a helmet or they're getting hit in the backside. They're not, they're not anticipating the hit when they are hit. And you're seeing more injuries come from those actual pocket passers. But there has been work done that's disproven that you actually on designed runs, quarterbacks get hurt uh, at a fewer rate than quarterbacks in the pocket. 
And I think one of the great advantages of these running quarterbacks too is that the league has tried to legislate as much as it can mm-hmm. um, hits against quarterbacks. And what you have is you have defenders who are put, uh, use Warren Sharp's phrase, he loves putting defenders in conflict. And one of the conflicts defenders have is, oh, I, I don't want to lay the lumber on Lamar Jackson. That's a 15-yard penalty. And the quarterbacks seem mindful of this. Where they're like, okay, I know that the defender doesn't know what to do. I, sometimes they'll fake a slide or it seems like the run is over, but they can run a little bit further. So I feel like there's a, the quarterbacks know they can run with immunity that maybe they didn't have. Yeah, we're not that far removed from when they used to be jacked up segments right on, on TV where you guys were getting their yeah. their heads blown off. You can't do that anymore. The league frowns on it. The officials frown on it. They've tried to take it out of the game. The league obviously knows the marketability of the quarterbacks. They want these guys to stay healthy. So, I mean, you know, Konami code is a cheat code, right? That's a video game cheat code. I mean, I, I don't think it's ever been more advantageous even if you don't run proactively, I, even you look at somebody like Patrick Mahomes, you look at somebody like Justin Herbert, it's not mm-hmm. like they're calling a bunch of design runs. I know Andy Reid got his head torn off when he did run a design run for Mahomes that he got hurt on in the playoffs. But you know, Patrick Mahomes will run if it's there as kind of a last resort. He's usually looking to run downfield, uh, to pass downfield, but he still might get 370 rushing yards and four or five mm-hmm. touchdowns. You know, a lot of times they're running, the young quarterbacks will run because they don't know any better and they'll, they'll get a little bit more experience and they'll phase that out. I think you need a running quarterback if you can get one, if it makes sense. Let's talk about the quarterback board. There's a big four right now. Um, we all know who that is. Mahomes, Allen, Tyler Murray, and Jackson. And there's running component to all four of those guys. Last year, it seems like the right place to buy was Kyler Murray, who was in that second tier. I'm curious, are you touching the big four? Who's your number one quarterback? Are you getting involved in that? Are you looking maybe at somebody who might be in the five to eight range? Are you? I'm curious how you feel about Jalen Hurts. Are you maybe going to draft a quarterback outside the top 10? This, none of this is in stone. I, I know a lot of times you just have to go where the draft takes you. But just give me a sense of what Rich Rebar's quarterback strategy is this year. Yeah, in general, I'd like to see how the room's going to handle it first. When is uh, they going to make make me reach into that bucket of quarterbacks? Typically, I like to draft the bottom of those guys that we talked about. Uh, maybe it's an added name. So last year, the guy was Josh Allen. He was a, kind of the cutoff of the guys that gave you a rushing floor and could give you more of a passing ceiling than those accounted for. Now, granted, I did not expect last year's season to happen for Josh Allen passing. Uh, I don't think the Bills did as well, but because he was kind of the, the firewall, I ended up running into a lot of really good, you know, Josh Allen teams because he was kind of the cutoff of the, the, the running quarterbacks this year, that first wave, the guy is Jalen hurts just where it cuts off. Um, you know, he kind of fits the mold of, he would have been a lower pick in recent years, probably like a, in the mid teens, maybe like, 14 to 16. If it wasn't for the last two seasons that Lamar Jackson, and Josh Allen had where they had the passing seasons that were kind of unaccounted for. Uh, no one really saw those types of passing ceilings. So everyone's saying, well, the last two guys, last two QB ones look like this. I don't want to miss out again. This guy looks like those guys, the guy that was, you know, objectively not a good passer uh, last year in his small sample, but gave you that rushing upside. I mean, the last time we saw Jalen Hurts on a football field, he was seven of 20 passing. Uh, on a team that wasn't even trying to win, only played three quarters and had 16 fantasy points. Uh, you know, it, it's it's the kind of upside he still has because of the way the scoring's weighted. He's kind of that last guy this year, uh, maybe Ryan Tannehill as well, if you take an ADP. Uh, Ryan Tannehill in points per dropback. He was number two in points per dropback last year. Eventually, one of these seasons, Tennessee, the fragility of the way they play offense is going to catch up with them. I I know it hasn't happened yet, and Derrick Henry's a unicorn, but eventually, one of these times, they're going to have a season where they they do have to drop back more than 500 times 
times in a season. They're not going to get away with this. Maybe it's this year. Maybe it's not. Uh, but those are kind of the two guys you look at as like the kind of the firewall guys this year before you have to go into maybe the upside plays of the Trey Lances and the Justin Fields, maybe even Trevor Lawrence, um, who's kind of a tweener. Uh, and then Zach Wilson as well. I don't want to discount Zach Wilson either. He's a guy that has some mobility. I think he'll have less designed runs in the NFL, but he is mobile. But I'm looking at that last year of guys uh, that kind of come off the board. And if, it depends where the room pushes them. Sometimes, you know, the quarterback run starts early. Sometimes it starts later. But I definitely want to be in on the back end of those guys. Basically, Jalen Hurts and Ryan Tannehill um, is what I'm looking at to get one of those guys. And I love how you outlined it with Hurts where that that – famous start where he made late in the season where the Eagles pulled him mindful of draft position. That coaching staff has of course all been broomed out since, but mm-hmm. thanks for getting us the better pick hurts. Didn't play well in that game. He got benched in that game for, you know, maybe performance, maybe for other reasons. And he still had a great fantasy game. This is what the Konami code is, right? The idea that Tim Tebow, mm-hmm. I don't think anybody ever thought he was a great NFL quarterback. Yeah. He played pretty well in that playoff game against Pittsburgh, but someday they're going to do a documentary on that season where they want where Tebow would play like dirt for three quarters. He'd make a couple of splashy plays in the fourth quarter. He'd finish the game nine of 23 passing or something, run in a touchdown, run for 75 yards, be quarterback nine. And everybody would be like, oh my God, this, this guy's great. And then half the room would be like, well, did you watch the first three quarters when you couldn't complete a pass? You know, that's the beauty of this. You don't necessarily have to be good. I, now, if you're a lot of these quarterbacks are great. I mean, look, the, the last uh, you know, Jackson had his MVP breakout two years ago. I mean, easily Josh Allen could have been the MVP last year, although nothing wrong with the Rodgers pick. Someday Kyler Murray may be an MVP. I know Russell Wilson has famously never gotten an MVP vote, but we know he's one of the best quarterbacks in football, and he still has rushing ability. These guys are all very good. But the beauty of Konami is you can be a bad quarterback and still be a great fantasy quarterback just because of the way the scoring is weighted. Let me ask you this, because I, I go back and forth on this. When we first start seeing running quarterbacks take over and, and, and become more prominent in the NFL, there's this school of thought that, okay, it's going to widen the defense. It's going to set up great rushing lanes. Look at the way the Ravens ran the ball two years ago in Jackson's MVP season. Mark Ingram had a year that it feels like it was five years ago. Mark Ingram was fantastic. J.K. Dobbins, you would think, would step into a nice meaty role this year. But it's a chicken-egg thing where Jackson presents a threat. And, and yes, it, it does present running lanes, but a lot of that rushing production and rushing touchdowns will go to Jackson. How do you feel about, is the running quarterback, you know, Kyler Murray turned out to be the best goal line back the Arizona Cardinals had. The goal line back in Buffalo is Josh Allen. So while on one hand you want an offense that's productive, an offense that moves the ball, you know, the, the rising tide will lift all boats. If the quarterback's getting a big chunk of that, production how do we feel about running backs when they're tied to a jackson and al and a kyler murray how do we reconcile how to handle those backfields yeah it's such a conundrum because if you look at it from an efficiency stance for these backs having the rpo game and a mobile quarterback has boosted the efficiency the the splash play touches the yards per carry which you know no one really loves but they have high yards per carry these these backs but they also don't catch a lot of passes. Mobile quarterbacks tend to, you know, they scramble. They don't look for the check down. Then the play breaks down, they're out. They're out the gates. Uh, and then they do occupy touches near the goal line. And we've seen this happen with Taysom Hill as well in New Orleans for his stretch last year. Uh, the Saints completely flipped their place call, play calling uh, in the red zone when Taysom Hill and his four starts. They were 28th in the league in passing rate in, inside the red zone when Taysom Hill took over. And we've seen Alvin Kamara have a little dip. Now, it's just a four-game small sample. Uh, and there were some other circumstances 
circumstances that kind of happened that hurt Alvin Kamara in that stance, like the the Kendall Hutton hitting game. Uh, but that's kind of always happened throughout the course of time. If you look at all these mobile quarterbacks, they also very rarely have like strong alpha receivers seasons. The, the more mobile guys, not the guys that are like the dual purpose guys like the Mahomes or Allen last year, but the Lamar Jackson types like you know, you think back to the Vic seasons or the Cam Newton strong seasons where they're fantasy stars. They don't really have a lot of great wide receiver seasons attached to them as well. But, you know, for the running backs, it's kind of a catch-22 because it breeds efficiency, but also kind of limits some of the things we really love, like goal line touches and receptions, which have been proven, you know, fantasy boosters and, and nitrous uh, for, you know, running back scoring. And we care about running back scoring because it still is the the number one premier leverage point of fantasy football. If you have an elite running back, it's the largest inflection of leverage you can have on the field. Uh, you know, you look at every average wide receiver production just just provides more functionality than average running back production. Uh, it just does. It's just it's just simply simply laid out. Uh, you know, I could pull up some more data for that. We can get into the weeds on that if we want to. But yeah, we, we want to chase elite running backs. And that may prevent a guy like J.K. Dobbins from like fully hitting access of his fantasy season being attached to a guy like Lamar Jackson, even though he's turning out five and a half yards per carry, six yards a carry uh, because he needs to have those long touchdowns. and He's not getting all those catches. You recently participated in the MFL 10 of Death. I believe it's the eighth season that this league has gone on. It's a high-profile MFL. Look, best balls are the perfect way to get ready for a fantasy football season because you get in reps, you have time to make your pick, do a little bit of research, and you start learning about the player pools. You start learning about the different slots. And I I can't say enough. They're just fun to do anyway. And then surprisingly fun to track in season because some of those teams will turn to juggernauts and you'll be like, oh, you know, after you sort through your DFS or seasonal, whatever you did on Sunday, you're like, oh, what did, what did that juggernaut basketball team that, that I have, how they do? Are you someone I, – I never like to look until the end of the season. Oh, okay. I like to be at like Christmas. It, it's funny, yeah, because you forget about it's, – it's kind of fun to forget about them too and then be like, oh, wow, how did I end up with these four top, you know, top ten receivers on the same team? Anyway, you were involved in this. Uh, hats off to, to run for Johnny, who I believe is the guy who's run this league, and he's just a great dude. And just people you know, Evan Silva's in this league, Scott Barrett's in this league, Zachary Reeson we mentioned earlier, Mike Clay, a, a bunch of different guys, and they're all great. Sean Siegel, who you know came up with the zero RB strategy, which is you know, about as famous as anything in fantasy football. You had the number three pick in this draft, and that seems like the inflection pick. McCaffrey and Cook went one-two. That's going to be very common in a lot of leagues. I've seen at three, I've seen Barkley go, which is what you did. I've seen Henry go. I've seen Kamara go. I've seen Taylor go. I've seen Elliott go. I, I haven't seen a lot of receivers, but you could take a Tyreek Hill. At some point, Travis Kelsey's going to go in the first round. I feel like the real fork in the road, the first real, oh, my God, I'm not really sure what to do. I've had this pick before. I had it in a couple of magazine mock drafts at the third pick. I wasn't really sure what to do. Explain why you took Barkley and let's just talk a little bit about what that board looks like and then what some of the options are, who you like and who you don't like. Yeah, so Saquon in itself and pick number three are a fulcrum point that we could branch off on a lot of topics. You know, I think one, obviously I'll touch on first is, you know, is large field tournaments, you know, kind of the best ball risk reversal reward. Uh, finishing fourth in this league does you no good. You know, you, na- you rattled off all the names I'm playing against. I have to finish first to win if I'm going to send any charity money to the charity of choice. Uh, so, I mean, when you look at uh, that kind of bucket of running backs, I really don't push back whoever you have, RB three through six or even two through six or anyone after Christian McCaffrey. But I looked at this as me having to finish first. And when you lay out all these running backs, uh, you know, even with the injury concern, uh, you know, Saquon Barkley has some of the objectively best odds to be the highest scoring fantasy player of the season. I mean, he's 24 years old. He's a super athlete. Really, the only red flag is the 
you know, kind of the injury concern. But, you know, we have such a small sample of elite running backs, you know, coming off of ACL injuries in the first place that it's really hard to get in the weeds on. But like, you know, Adrian Peterson came back uh, of ACL is limited the first month of the season and goes on to win MVP. MVP. Jamal Charles uh, plays 42% of snaps and 27% of snaps to start the season after his ACL injury goes on to have 1700 yards and is a league winner. There's those guys that have taken in the second round of their drafts because everyone, you know, is a little bit scared uh, from a redraft stance. Would I be more risk averse? Would I take in Ezekiel Elliott? Probably. He's a little safer, a little safer floor. Derrick Henry's the safe floor too. But Derrick Henry probably has the lowest odds of all these guys to be the actual top scorer running back. Derrick Henry's coming off of a season where he had, he had almost 2,200 yards and 17 touchdowns and was outscored by three different players in the scoring structure of this league on a per-game basis. You know, we probably just saw the best season that Derrick Henry's going to have from a fantasy stance, and it wasn't even enough to be the highest-scoring running back on a per-game basis. So that kind of just, like, was a swing from the heels. Like, I'm going to in, go in here and just take Barkley at this pick. Uh, in a seasonal league, I may have gone a different route, but that's, like, one of the things of, like, these, these large-field tournaments or these best balls that you kind of have to play out. You have to beat... You know, you have to be first. You have to be a lot of competitors uh, if you're doing the tournament style. Then I think it's just like you said, you can get in the weeds on Barkley versus the other running backs, what to do with that bucket of running backs. I think also an interesting element too from this weekend that Saquon Barkley provides is how do you process news and blurbs in the offseason? I'm someone that worked uh, a few years at NBC and familiar with like how the blurbs get posted, uh, how they're received and perceived. But really what you want to look for in uh, processing offseason news is actual news. Now, this one is a one foot, one foot out piece of news. You know, the, the, the team comes out or, you know, Ian Rapport's late that they want to limit about Saquon Barkley in the season. Well, what is the definition of limited? Is that a snap count? Is it a touch count? That We don't know. They didn't tell us anything. They just said limited, which is enough to freak people out versus the other backs. But is it enough to actually kind of, you know, squash Saquon Barkley's fantasy value over the big picture of the season? We don't know. There's kind of, you know, we don't really know. So you really want to be looking for news in these blurbs, though, uh, from beat reporters is kind of stuff that you can provide to be actual news. Uh, are players being used in the red zone? Who, where they are in the depth chart? Uh, kind of stuff like that. You really want to avoid things that are more projection based. Uh, you know, hey, this guy's just tearing it up. I think he's going to have a thousand yard season because a lot of beat reporters and stuff don't have a top down accurate grasp on how touches get distributed or how projections are even made and stuff like that. They're just kind of shooting from the hip and letting you know, that, hey, this guy's looking pretty well, but you know, you really can't do a lot of actionable detail. It's the Devontae Parker role, right? The Devontae Parker every every summer. Devontae Parker's jumping over guys and he's looking awesome again. It finally worked out when he got to play with Ryan Fitzpatrick. Uh, but that's something else. Uh, something else that Saquon is a big inflection point is something I know you're big on, which is injury optimism, just in a blanket. You know, just underselling, not taking the high road on guys that are either hurt or are coming off of injury. Uh, so, I mean, that's in play. Uh, and then you got the regression angle because the Giants are just the screaming team that no matter what you feel at the Giants, blind betting has told you that you should be on the Giants being a more productive offense this season. Uh, since 2008, they are one of just, they're the 16th offense to uh, underperform their projected touchdown per, per yardage rate uh, by double digits. Uh, 13 of those previous 15 teams have all increased their touchdowns the following season by an average increase of 13 team touchdowns per game. It's almost one per game. Uh, history has said, no matter what you think about Daniel Jones and the Giants, that they're a team that's going to have higher touchdown output than they had a year ago. Uh, so I mean, there's a lot of inflection points that kind of I threw out there that you can kind of riff and we could take wherever. But uh, Saquon and that pick three definitely provides a, a lot of branches to kind of uh, go here. The words of Lord Reeves, again, doing great work over at Sharp Football Analysis, and that's L-O-R-D-R-E-E-B-S on Twitter. 
I, I half expected to see Zach Morris on my screen when, when we got going today because you've had that great avatar for so long. I never change it. In fact, did I think you changed the Lord Reeves name briefly and then did, I did like change the handle. Right, right. People are like, no, no, no. We we got to have our Lord Reeves back. You know, Rich. One thing I like to do in the first round. First of all, I like I'm, I'm a big believer in if you see running backs that you have faith in, I want to take the running back. I'm not going to force it if I don't like the running backs, but I'm probably going to take a first round running back. But what I used to do is say, okay, well, who's the safe pick? Who's the floor pick? Who 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 keeps gives me the best sleep at night? And I feel like you can talk down everybody. McCaffrey just lost a decent chunk of season to injury, and he's the consensus one pick. Dalvin Cook obviously has a decorated injury history. He has a knee blowout in his history. Barkley just missed most of his season. Derrick Henry has been run into the ground, which I'm not sure how much it, with that type of angle is more of the attrition angle or just he's just due to step in a ditch at some point or somebody hit the wrong part of the ankle. Kamara's getting offense in flocks. We don't know who the quarterback is. Uh, you know, Taylor, Taylor, I think, is a safe play, but some people may say he doesn't have the upside, doesn't catch enough passes. I don't know how good Zeke is, but they're paying him like he's good. Tony Pollard's really good, but, I, you know, Zeke's getting the paycheck. Um, the second running back contract can, can kind of be a pitfall in the NFL where teams are getting smarter about that. I feel like we can talk down. These are the best guys. These are the running backs we all want to take. And I feel like if you wanted to be a negative Nancy about it, you could play the negative card. Is it is the idea of being safe? Let's let's think about seasonal now, because as you said, you're trying to win this MFL of death. You gotta you can't be afraid about trying. I gotta come in fourth. I gotta make the playoffs. You're trying to yeah. win the thing and get the charity money. I get it. In a seasonal league, I might think more. Oh, who's got the highest mm-hmm. four here? Is it is that even knowable? Am I am I silly to even think that I can know that player A has a four and player B doesn't? I, we we talk about injuries so much. We talked about the quarterback injuries earlier with the running and stuff. Is it just that everybody is? at the risk of getting hurt on any given play and, and maybe our ability. And look, yeah, there are some guys who have nagging injuries that we have to deal with. And if, if somebody gets hurt in June and they shut them down for six weeks, that probably will be somebody I won't draft unless there's a really good discount applied. But when it comes to the first round with these guys, should we just say, okay, they all have injury risk and it's it's uh, enough, it's negli- negligible enough from player A to player B that we shouldn't even factor it in? I mean, how do we handle all that? Yeah, so fantasy football, the ultimate game decided on player outcomes, and we have proven to be incredibly average at diagnosing player outcomes. Uh, you know, that's that's kind of what the catch-22 of fantasy football is what makes it so frustrating and so fun for all of us that even the smart of us are, are hitting at, like, Shaq hitting free throws. Uh, you know, th- that, that's kind of the fun part of it. But yeah, we don't really know. We're not great at it. I like to... I've always said I do my rankings and tiers and stuff like through archetypes, you know, archetypes of players. And that's how I bucket my players. It might be, I might have a guy that's the wide receiver 30 uh, in the same tier as a guy that's the wide receiver 18 on a linear list, but they're the same type of archetype of players. The only thing differentiating them is, you know, volume or team offense or something like that. But in terms of how they accrue fantasy points, how they're used, it's the same thing. The catch 22 with these running backs, like I said, when we, when I, in the, the open is that, Top flight running back production provides the largest seasonal leverage. If you have like the RB1 that season, you know, granted wherever he comes from, he provides a larger ledge than, than having the wide receiver one. But the, you know, a thing like, like Sean Siegel and ZRB is always incorporated is that you're just taking better players, wide receivers. Uh, wide receivers, as you progress to move down the line, just outscore running backs. It's a bigger drop off and you're just taking better players instead of chasing the position. And when we look at the archetypes of running backs that typically are the RB ones in a fantasy season, they're these guys at the top, the three down backs, guys that catch passes, they get goal line carries and they're attached to relatively good offenses. Those are the guys that, you know, have the, the 
outcome. So we just have to you know, kind of get in the water. And if you want that kind of positional leverage, you have to take those guys and understand that everyone comes to risk. The position is inherently risky. We're bad at projections. Uh, but, you know, you're, that's the specific archetype. You got to kind of kind of get over that mental hurdle and understand that um, I was like that last year. If you ask me, so the way I treat fantasy football is we talk about player outcomes. I have strong convictions. If you ask me a player take, I'm going to give you a strong player take, but it's very loosely held you know, on a season to season basis. Most people, if you look at rankings or ADP, what, what happens every year? It just is a, it just kind of reflects what we just saw, right? We know it's not going to happen again, but we still do it. You know, Josh Donald be QB three, we're ranking Stephon Diggs at wide receiver three. Uh, but, you know, I, I try to draft and, and create enough content over the course of offseason that shows how playing fantasy football, you can remove like just kind of being attached onto your player outcomes. Uh, you know, last year, great examples. If you asked me for my strong opinion on Keenan Allen and Stephon Diggs, who we just talked about, I wasn't high on either one of those players. But because of the way I play fantasy football, they were wide receiver one going in a period of the draft where I hammer wide receivers. So they, and I ended up with a lot of those guys, even though if you followed my individual player analysis, I wasn't that high on those guys. Uh, but because of the way I draft and structure teams, I ended up with a lot of those players on teams and suggested to other owners on, on sharp football analysis to still draft those players uh, because we don't know the great outcomes. And you're getting a guy that's getting hundred plus targets in round five, round six. And you just kind of let that, let the wind carry you. When we're talking about like player archetypes and understanding what to buy. Uh, I ended up with those guys end up having really a lot of positive outcomes with those uh, players. So I tend not to try to get into the weeds too much on just sword and shielding player takes anymore. We used to do that a lot on Twitter and, you know, a half decade ago, if someone wrote something about a player I was high on, I'd come in and bring all these data points, but there's so much variance in that stuff year over year. It's not really worth it. It's not really worth the conversation point uh, to, to do anymore, but yeah, that's what kind of roundabout way I circle back. I know I got super long winded is yeah. Player outcomes, Fantasy football's uh, decided on it, but we're really bad at it. Uh, you should find ways to get edges elsewhere. I love the way you constructed your roster in this MFL of death, where I'll just rattle off the, the first part of your draft. Barkley was your first pick, 103. DK Metcalf, Najee Harris, Tyler Lockett, Kenny Galladay, Robbie Anderson. I know I'll have a lot of Robbie Anderson this year. You took oh, yeah. Russell Wilson in the seventh round, Jarvis Landry, Jalen Waddell, and Zach Moss. Those were your first 10 picks. And I guess I, I'll, I'll put another one in there. Evan Ingram was your first tight end in round 11. So what, what did you do here? You got foundational, hopefully running back with, with Barkley. You backed him up really strong with Harris in the third round. Other than that, you are pounding wide receivers. And again, the the, DF, the um, best ball build is a little bit different than seasonal, although maybe you would have a similar roster in seasonal. You know, these guys, you're going to get the best of their scoring. So you you're drafting receivers at a point where they're the best things you can get on the draft. You were patient at quarterback, but you still got Wilson, who I would think still has a path to be a top two or three quarterback. Maybe not quite as much upside as a few years ago, but I mean, Russell Wilson, when did, I said last year, when have you ever regretted drafting Russell Wilson? I, I, I guess the second half of last year would have been the answer to that question. Weeks 10 through 17, but, but that's it. Yeah, but still, still, he's, <laughs> he's been such a great fantasy player. But I like getting solidification of my backfield early and then just wailing away at receivers because I love... You know, Robbie Anderson was wide receiver 35 in this draft. Love him. Jarvis Landry is just one of my favorite types of players, a boring vet, where you're getting him at his floor, wide receiver 46. I'm also in on Odell Beckham this year for the first time in a long time. I think this idea that him and Mayfield don't mix, and I've even maybe put that forth at some point, they barely had time to meet. And Baker Mayfield looked really comfortable. I know you're, you're from the Ohio area. Mayfield looked really good in that Stefanski offense in the second half of the season. Beckham, I still think Beckham has a 1,300 12 touchdown season percolating in him. I think we might see that. He's been a great value. Anyway, I like the build with the, you did address running back early, 
but then you pounded receivers and your team is receiver heavy. And then you took the value where you saw it at quarterback and tight end. Is that a common build for you? Just talk a little bit about what goes into roster construction for Rich Rebar. Rich Rebar. Yeah, so this one was a combination of this particular site, uh, the MFL Best Ball 10, which is you know full PPR. You have to start three wide receivers every week as opposed to something like FFPC, which is tight end premium scoring. You only actually have to start two wide receivers in your lineup, so it changes a little bit. So you do have to draft wide receivers heavier in these MFL 10s and roster construction. I have some articles on roster construction too. Kind of bears out that going you know, wide receiver heavier to start has been more fruitful in terms of win rate. And then combination of this room as well. You know, I draft with a lot of these guys all the time and we draft guys like we uh, draft teams like you would typically see on, unlike a lot of your fantasy drafts where running backs go off the board, off the board, off the board. Whereas here running back archetypes, like we talked about those RB one types go off the board and then they just die. And you won't see guys fall out, come off the boards in these drafts until maybe the, the fourth, fifth round. But in your typical, you know, best ball league or your home drafts are still getting taken in the third and the fourth rounds. This, this group of guys really hammers wide receivers rounds three through seven. So just drafting a lot with those guys and knowing the format, you have to make some tough calls. I mean, Mike Clay was in this draft and every time it came up to him, he had a, a running back that was probably his highest projected player. Uh, on the board, but knowing you're going to take a running back, no, it's just you know you know you're going to have to keep chasing wide receiver in this room. Yeah, Clay started uh, you four kinda... or five, four or five by Clay's picks for running backs to start. He started Kamara, Chubb, Swift, and Jacobs in the fifth round. I, Jacobs is where I think I would have pivoted. I, I don't mind the top three running backs if you're mm-hmm. in on Swift, but um, you know Clay's obviously a smart guy. Uh, oh yeah, you know Sig- Sigmund Bloom year. started with Travis Kelsey, and then Sigmund Bloom is not afraid to throw a knuckleball when everybody else is throwing fastballs and sliders. Sean, you know, again, Siegel, I mentioned earlier, Pat Thorman, these guys, uh, CD Card, you guys, Chris, Ka, great, great players. This room, I, I could look at this board all day and just be like, what was Silva thinking here? What was Rummy thinking? You know, uh, Mike Beers, who's done a, a ton of great work. I know he's out of the industry now uh, for the most part, but he's done a lot of work on win rates. And, and that's what we're looking for. Right? What wins? What roster? You know, Mike Beers is maybe best equipped. I, I know you've done a lot of work with this, too. What happens when I take three quarterbacks? What happens when mm-hmm. I take three tight ends? What if I go with just four running backs and pray they all stay healthy? Is that a winning strategy? We're getting some great analysis about roster construction. I think we're finding, we're learning more about it. I mean, there's always going to be more to learn. The game is we're chasing a butterfly with a net. If we think we know where it is, it's going to dart <laughs> somewhere else. But I feel like things like win rate and roster construction are more regular conversations where you know 10 or 15 years ago, nobody would say win rate was not a fantasy football term. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting uh, about it is like, so you're looking at this roster construction and you say like, well, yeah, what if I take my quarterback early? When should I take my QB two? And uh, I've got some articles like that uh, at Sharp Football Analysis as well. But you had touched upon Jarvis Landry a little bit too. And, you know, it's, it's interesting that people have kind of these safe floor guys misconstrued from redraft and best ball. A lot of people think you only want to take ceiling guys in best ball, but actually counterintuitively, these safe floor guys, their best format is best ball. Uh, one, because you never have to get the spike weeks right. Whereas you have a guy like Jarvis Landry in a season-long league, there might be weeks where you want to bench him because he's had a stretch where he's had four eight-point games or you know he's giving you a, a floor, but he's not winning you games. Um, but then he pops and you're like, oh, damn, I chased the, uh, the flyer of the week or whatever, and I swapped him out and I missed his 20-point game. You just get, get those naturally. The one archetype of players that I avoid 
routinely in redraft leagues are the pass receiving only running backs, the, the Tree Cohen's, the Naheem Hines. I don't draft those guys in redraft leagues because you have to project game script, the James White's the world, and you miss out on their best games and their floor, like I said, an average running back floor is not as useful as people think it is. But in these best ball leagues, you just get the, their best games. They just go into your lineup. You'd never have to worry about it. So these safe floor guys that people are drafting for floor and redraft leagues are actually better best ball players than they are in these in redraft leagues because a lot of people misconstrue that low scoring weeks in fantasy and in your weekly leagues lose you games like high scoring weeks win you games. It's always the Mike Evans corollary. Like the, the, the you know, the kind of like, well, I don't want Mike Evans because one week he's gonna have 40 and the next week he's gonna have seven. But the 40 points win you more games than the seven points lose you games. And it takes it's a real mental block for people to get over. You know, when we lose fantasy weeks, we tend to just go to the guy that missed his average, right? But fantasy scoring isn't on a bell curve. Like it's it's not scoring a bell curve. Guys have 30 point weeks and 10 point weeks. And you know, it's all about just being in on the right pockets of production. And those more guys that are archetype of safe floor types are harder to kind of max out in that way because you're doing roster jiggle, you know, you're moving your roster around so much that you miss out on those guys' best moments so much. Like, you know, like my guys just leaving in, you don't care. You'll take the lows or the highs, but a lot of these say floor guys, you're moving around and you're missing out on some of their best weeks. And uh, that's why I t- tend to avoid those kind of guys in redraft, uh, not so much the receiver position, like the running back position, like I laid out, but you know, a lot of people lose sight of the value those guys provide in best ball and getting a guy like Jarvis Landry, almost wide receiver 50 feels like just like, the ski I had a ski mask on taking that pick. Yeah, I like to mix him in you know, the boring PPR maybe four with with some of the guys like you know, Robbie Anderson. When, when is he going to spike? I, man, I, I'm sure I'm going to have a lot of Anderson this year. I, I got him wrong last year. I, I I had to throw out the idea that receivers can't go to new teams and be good right away. I mean, I, I was pretty much out on Stephon Diggs, and that blew up in my face. One thing I think really cool about your draft is you acquired a Seattle stack, and it was reasonably priced. You get Metcalf in the second round, Lockett in the fourth round, Wilson in the seventh round. Talk about just that just happened. Was it anywhere by design? How do you feel about stacking in best ball? How do you feel about stacking in seasonal? Just you know, stacking. Rich Rebar, go. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people have done great work on it, like Mike Beers and Michael Leone at Established the Run have shown the value of stacking, especially in these best ball leagues. That one was just more naturally, you know, I. When I took Barkley, I knew I was probably going to go wider, like alpha wide receiver the second round. It ended up being uh, DK and it kind of looked like, you know, uh, you know, when I look at DK and like where he goes against like the, the Justin Jefferson's the world, like we still haven't seen DK Metcalf's probably best fantasy season. I think it's a great argument for AJ Brown as well to where he goes. He went ahead in this draft and a lot of people are on, you know, Arthur Juan Brown right now uh, because of the, so just good. nobody had, there's no, there's no targets there. But the thing about I, again, Brown, I have to was, interrupt, I have to thank the Patriots oh. for drafting Nikhil Harry in a draft that had <laughs> AJ Brown and DK Metcalf and Terry McLaurin. And I mean, God, I will never get over that. Yeah, but it's, you know, when you, a lot of people like think about what we talked about, uh, getting glomming onto what just what happened in that influencing ADP. A lot of people do that with standout seasons. Like, listen, Josh Allen's not going to have as good a season as he had last year. Does that mean he's going to be a bad fantasy player? No, but if you think Josh Allen has going to have, is going to duplicate what he did last year, he's just not. It's same thing. We talk about Derrick Henry, same way. Justin Jefferson, probably had the best season we ever have he might have like there are probably odds that justin jefferson just had the best fantasy season he had now aj brown we know still has not had the best season he's capable of having 
We know he's hyper-efficient. Does that mean he's going to have it this year? No, it doesn't. But it's in his range of outcomes to he's got something that's still attainable. DK Metcalf's in that same mode too. So that was kind of like an, uh, uh, an inflection point of what forced me to take DK Metcalf over Justin Jefferson. Um, and then having the stacking background as well, understanding that I do want to stack and I want to try to stack my wide receiver one anyways, that I was going to get a guy in that same bucket of quarterbacks we talked about, that, that duality. Russell Wilson is not no longer going to rush for 700 yards, but he is probably going to give me 40 to 50 extra points rushing on the season. Uh, he's that in his range of outcomes. So I wanted to take my QB1 in that bucket, also attachment to my wide receiver one. It just so happened that I got Tyler Lockett as well. And then I had Gerald Everett too at the end. So we went full uh, oh, wow. Seattle. Yeah, I didn't notice that. Okay. <laughs> we went full Seattle stack uh, in there, which in Seattle is one of the easier teams to build naturally through ADP. You don't have to force as much. Dallas is one you have to force. You see a lot of people try to build Dallas stacks. You see a lot of people try to build Bengal stacks. You see a lot of people try to build Falcon stacks a little less now with the Julio, like kind of fully looking like he's out the door uh 49er stacks are very popular you see a lot of people trying to build 49er stacks for the upside in their playoff schedule uh in these best ball mania terms and stuff like that because their playoff schedule looks so good which it's really tough to diagnose weeks 15 through 17 playoff schedules but a lot of people are chasing that and that trey lance upside because they figure he'll be starting by then and their wide receivers are are, are fairly cheap i tried to uh, manufacture a giant stack in there as well but mike clay beat me by a couple picks on daniel jones i was really uh, really heart heartbroken uh, that that happened, but uh, yeah, we, you definitely want to stack your 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 alpha targets there, though at wide receiver. I think Daniel Jones could be a sneaky Konami guy again. I'm not sure if he. A lot of these running quarterbacks are great. I'm not sure Daniel Jones is great, but I think he's a good athlete who could easily run for a sneaky like 570 and five or six touchdowns. And man, there's a lot of talent around him. You mentioned uh, playoff schedules. I want to touch on that in a second. I just want to unpack something really quick with A.J. Brown. He, he's in a position, and I know pe- people like A.J. Brown, and I don't think you're, anybody's going to get him cheap in any competitive leagues. You get to pay up for him. But what I love is whenever a player has unbelievable efficiency, and he has, assuming the team is reasonably intelligent, he has a path to such a huge spike in targets. I think of the year Tyler Lockett a few years ago had that famous 158.3 quarterback rating from Russell Wilson, you know, they had a perfect quarterback rating when they hooked up, but they didn't use Lockett that much. And some people would say, well, he'll never repeat that efficiency again. And I'd like, well, so what? If he can just get the 30 or 40 targets additionally that he probably deserves, even 25 targets, I can give up a lot of efficiency. And I feel like A.J. Brown's in that position where his efficiency will almost have to go down. You know, once they start forcing you targets or giving you more targets, some of them you'll be covered. Some of them will be low percentage throws. I don't care about that. I just want A.J. Brown to be, I think at least a handful of double-digit target games in his career to this point. I want to see like nine or ten of those. I want him to be used the way Julio Jones was used, you know, in, in his peak Atlanta day, stuff like that. So I want people to keep that in mind. We don't have to talk about this too long, but I, I want, we did have a Twitter discussion recently about strength of schedule and how it may apply to fantasy defenses. Let's just think more generally. You see it tossed around. This team has a great schedule. This team has a lousy schedule. This team, oh my God, their playoff schedule is so great. And I usually just kind of throw my hands up and say, well, do we know what the NFL is going to look like in week 14? This is such a, or nope. week 15, whenever we're <laughs> using the playoffs this year, I'm still getting used to this 18 week week season. It still hasn't really sunk in yet. I'll wait till it's you so get in hard. season then. <laughs> right. It's so hard to look ahead. It's so hard. We don't know who's going to get hurt, what defenses are going to gel. There's always going to be four or five teams in the NFL that are much better than expected, much worse than expected. I think it's a fool's errand to look at playoff schedules. I almost never do it. I, now, it's one of these things. It's kind of like 
the backup running back where people, I don't want to do it in the summer, but once we get middle of the season, I kind of think, okay, I'm more open to that type of thing. That's how I feel about strength of schedule. I'd love to talk about it in October when I feel I have a sense of where who's who. I think doing talking about it now, I think is almost pointless. Again, I know that the stuff that you guys do at Sharp, if you're going to do it, do it right. Warren Sharp was, I think, the leader in saying, hey, if we're going to f- figure out strength of schedule, go by the Vegas win totals. That's a more efficient market than how the teams were last year. When I say strength of schedule or playoff fantasy schedule, does it mean anything? Does it not mean anything? What say you? So the only things that I use strength of schedule for are early season quarterback and early season defense, and even less that. so now at quarterback. I, I, I like to say you play fantasy football with a microscope, not a telescope. Yeah, and even less so at quarterback now because we're we're told you we're more inclined to pay up for quarterback or like we're late rounding a tier. We're so late round quarterback. We might be fully going late round quarterback, but we're taking still the later end of the that pocket of passers. But I'm looking at yeah, that that's really it. Is as all I'm looking for start of the season stuff, and then we're recalibrating uh, as the season goes on uh, to get involved there. I'm not really looking at playoff schedules at all because one, I've got to make the playoffs first. You know, I, I even have to get in the playoffs first, which just could be you know a chore in some of these leagues that you're playing with all these good people. It's like, Hey, I just want to, I just want to have a good team and then let the variance take over when I get there. And a lot of times too, we over just inflate like the matchup itself. When we get there, even when I, I write a weekly matchup based article, I'm writing up every game and I'd never lead player, uh, a player analysis per, per player with uh, the matchup. Never, ever. It always is related to the player first. It always starts about the player and you work down from there uh, because a lot of times we get these things wrong when you get to that point anyways, the season. You know, who, who is bad, who is good, and what that even means. They, a team might be bad for the uh, a different reason than we thought they were going to be bad. We might thought their pass defense was going to sink and it turns out they just can't stop the run. They're getting hammered. Uh, and then teams aren't, by as a byproduct, they're playing slower games against them and they're not throwing, having the pass out of them that we thought. Or they lose uh, an offensive player. They lose their quarterback. And it just changes the whole day. We saw this happen at the Cowboys. I mean, games just change. The Bengals are another team. They lose Joe Burrow. Every Bengals game looks insanely different from that point on for the season. There's just so many variables that go into play that it's tough for me to go that far down the road. But I do think that it is fair for us to actually try to project offenses uh, mm-hmm. or defenses because we're doing it for uh, offensive players and nobody seems to care and we're doing it at an average rate. But why can't we look at a team's defense and say, we, we have enough knowledge now as in terms of data that's available and as football watchers and fans to understand like, hey, that's, this team is a major deficiency in their secondary. Like they're, like they're going to struggle to stop the pass. Uh, you know, why, why can't we do that stuff? I mean, I don't understand that it's so like frowned upon outside of the fact that it's, you know, highly variant, but it's not any different than us projecting, you know, Stefan Diggs changing teams and wh- what his target share is going to look like. We're, it's, it's, the, it's the same thing. Uh, but, you know, so I, I do get, I do think that it's fair for us to look at some of these early season schedules and understand like where teams may be bad and may struggle and try to exploit that early in the season because we're doing it for the offense as well. Sometimes you're right, sometimes you're wrong, but when you are right, I mean, you're going to profit and it's going to turn out to be fruitful for you. Yeah, it's one of the favorite hacks is if you don't draft that defense, you just find an unsexy defense that has to go. I haven't looked at the week one matchups very closely yet, so I don't even really know who's playing who yet. But usually in, in, in August, I'll say, oh, here's a widely available defense that when I, dra- when I drop you know, one of my extra running backs who hasn't panned out, you know, things haven't broken for him in the summer, I'll pick up this unsexy defense because they're playing a lousy team and they're seven point favorite or whatever like that. Yep. If, if I get asked, it's, it's amazing. I get asked every week, which defense to play. And if you just follow the point spread, just you know, take the team that's favored by more points. That would be the right answer. The overwhelming majority of the time. That's, 
the invisible hand that guides you. We've been talking with Rich Rebar today. You can see his work at Warren Sharp's website, which is great. You can follow him on Twitter at Lord Reeves. We have just a couple minutes left. I want short answers. We're just going to go free association and riff. I'm just going to say a player, a team, and just give me a sentence or two. Give me a tweet length, Rich Rebar take on this player. Okay. All right. Kyle Pitts. <laughs> uh, unicorn. I mean, don't be scared to, to, to buy in uh, uh, on outliers. Terry McLaurin gets Ryan Fitzpatrick. What say you? Oh, yeah. Wheels up. The wide receiver one. The Denver Broncos skill player you think you'll roster the most this season is who? Oh, Jerry Judy, 100%. Is Joe Mixon a screaming value or stay away? Oh, yeah. You buy. You got to let get rid of those biases. Throwing Trevor Lawrence out. If you were in a redraft, we actually did a um, a dynasty league, and I, I feel bad that we didn't talk about it all. Um, Donkey T set that oh, up yeah. from Rasball. If you were going to draft a quarterback in a dynasty or keeper league and Trevor Lawrence was not available, rookie quarterback, who would you gravitate towards? I'm still pro Justin Fields, but I have no problem if you, you're a Trey Lance guy either. What's the best value in the Dallas offense? I think a lot of people want a piece of this. If you're going for a value pick, who do you see? Uh, for, for weekly kind of output, Amari Cooper, but the best value is Michael Gallup. I know you wanted fast answers, but just real Those quick, because I have a fast. I have a riff on this, though, that people always uh, account for running back upside that doesn't exist. You get in these zero RB drafts, like if Aaron Jones gets hurt, it does this to A.J. Dillon. That's why you draft him. Tony Pollard is that guy. Nobody does it for wide receivers. I've been preaching this for years. Uh, Michael Gallup, if if C.D. Lamb or Amari Cooper miss any games, he immediately goes from a guy that you have as a volatile wide receiver for to like an absolute weekly wide receiver, too. Screaming value. Michael Gallup's a good football player. He just happens to be on a team with a lot of good football players. And look, it's not Michael Gallup's fault that CeeDee Lamb is like maybe a generational god and Amari Cooper you know, might be building a Hall of Fame resume too. You want pieces of this offense, and especially in best ball where you don't have to call the shot ahead of time. Man, I, I, I would love to get my hands on Michael Gallup. Uh, what receiver in Tampa Bay do you see yourself rostering the most this year? Uh, Chris Godwin. Price or would you take him if it was in a vacuum? You just still take Godwin. I think combination of uh, floor and upside. Julio Jones, uh, week one, is he a Falcon or not a Falcon? Not a Falcon. I'll say, gut my head. He goes to a team that really shares biz- no business trading for him, uh, like the Patriots or Titans. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm a Patriots fan, but I if I owned Julio Jones stock in a keeper league, I wouldn't want to see him. Well, let me ask you the Patriots. Who, what, which quarterback makes more starts this year for the Patriots? Oh, Mac Jones. Just histor- history tells us that these guys are going to play earlier than ever. I mean, if you're getting benched for Jason Stidham, COVID or not, uh, the odds probably don't. Uh, the arrow doesn't point kindly to you sustaining as uh, a job over a guy that's taking it 15 overall. Are you in on Tua? Out on Tua? I'm in, and that he'll be better, but does it matter? Because he's in that purgatory archetype that we talked about. Like, is he going to give you enough rushing? And is he going to give you enough passing upside? He's kind of a purgatory guy, and that's a deep bucket of players. He looks a lot like Baker Mayfield to me. That's the last question, Mash. I know you're from the Ohio area. Who wins the AFC North? Uh, I mean, I think it's the Browns, man. I mean, this is, I'm not a Browns fan. I've watched the torture that they put uh, a lot of people in my area for. I'm not a fan of, of anybody. But, I mean, this is the best roster the Browns have had since they've returned to the NFL by far. Like, bar none, it's the best objective roster they've had. I think the Ravens have losses on defenses they need to account for, and the Steelers are still kind of in a gray area of – what is Ben really giving you at this time? And what is this offense going to look like under Matt Canada uh, coming into this next season? And the Browns already beat him of the worst roster last year. You mentioned Ben, so I'll, I'll throw in one more. Do you think you'll be underweight 
overweight or about average weight on the Steelers passing game. Oh, underweight. Yeah, I, I, I think they, they, they've made it clear. Look, we drafted an early running back. We tried to fortify the offensive line. Roethlisberger, you know, his average depth of the target, had, had to hit Mike Clay, or his, his yards per attempt were just really low last year. I know they have talented receivers, but they don't want to play the way they could play with Roethlisberger, you know, five, six years ago, even a couple of years ago. I know he had the 33 touchdowns. Touchdown deodorant is a beautiful thing, but I'm afraid to touch. I, I don't think, I think they want to win games with their defense and running game. I think that's what they're trying to do. You also have to make hard decisions on their top two receivers in Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool at ADP. They go around other really good wide receivers. So you do have tough choices to make there. Juju's a little lower based on, you know, last season. Uh, so he's a little more palatable to buy. But if you are a Deontay Johnson or Chase Claypool buyer, they you have to buy, also bypass other good receivers as well. Again, you can find Rich on Twitter at Lord Reeves, L-O-R-D-R-E-E-B-S. Just look for the Zach Morris photo with the cell phone brick and you'll be at the right spot. Rich, what are you working on these days? Uh, I've just been doing a lot of like individual player articles that I think are interesting and kind of using the vehicle as dynasty buy, sell, or hold as the vehicle to talk about those players, but they're typically players that uh, are more interesting to talk about in the 2021 stance. Uh, like I just did Tua today. I did Jalen Hurts. I've done Clyde edwards Lair, Juju, Mike Evans. I've done Michael Thomas. Just players I think are interesting to talk about and just using that vehicle to kind of sift through all the different fantasy angles uh, as we kind of shift through these dog days of getting towards the actual draft season. And all my work right now is there's no paywall for offseason at Sharp awesome. Analysis. Um, I've already done about 60 articles on the site this offseason. All are free. You can check them all out. I know I, I can't stop asking you questions because you keep mentioning guys I want to ask. It. So I'm going to sneak in one more and then we're, we're going to wrap this thing up. Michael Thomas, green light, yellow light, red light. Uh, yellow light. I think he's going to be uh, a wide receiver one based on volume alone. But when you look at historically, the Saints splits without Drew Brees, uh, they score about seven points fewer per game. Uh, the red zone chances die. And he only has scored three touchdowns in his 12 games where Drew Brees has been out or missed early. So, And he's a guy that never had double-digit scoring touchdowns with Drew Brees either. So I think he has lower odds to be the actual wide receiver one overall than some of his peers, but I think that his just influx of targets, he's going to push 30% of the team targets naturally and give you just like a strong season in that that regard. He did that with Taysom Hill last year too, but I don't think his odds of being the actual highest scoring wide receiver, I, I believe they're the lowest they've been of his career. We've been lucky to have Rich Rebar today on the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. And if you're into podcasts, Yahoo's got a whole suite of them. College sports, Dan Wetzel, Pete Thamel, our old friend Pat Forty at Sports Illustrated, they're doing their three-man weave, and there's always something interesting going on in the world of college sports. And, hey, the NBA playoffs are going on. Post it up with Chris Haynes is a great place to get your NBA fix. You have an, are you an NBA guy, Rich? you have an NBA pick for us? No, not really. I like the NBA product. It's just, you know, uh, you always riff on this too. And you, I, I'm jealous because you have outlets to other sports. But uh, I watch a little bit of the NBA playoffs. But like with so much time I put into all this football, like I said, I've already done 60 football articles. Right, right. It's just a, I got three kids. They're playing summer sports. It's just a capacity issue. It's I started out doing fantasy baseball as a fantasy baseball guy. And when football let the door in for some of this analysis to be okay, I shifted to football because, hey, it's like I don't have to do this on a daily grind. I just And then you lose capacity. You just lose capacity for the other sports. So I'm jealous that you still have hung on to your love of the other sports and you're able to do work in baseball. Uh, definitely jealous. Uh, but I just, I just don't have the time. I, I hear you, man. I mean, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm grinding golf. You know, I'm watching golf tournaments every week. The NHL playoffs are going on. I'm, I'm a huge Bruins fan. They just lost in overtime. Uh, we're taping this on a Tuesday. 
So there's just everything's happening. You know, I don't even have time yep. to be a horse racing fan or watch Indy 500 or whatever. But uh, that's the beautiful world of sports. So, so check out again, if you're an NBA guy, Chris Haynes is for you. And our, and our Yahoo Sports College podcast is outstanding. And of course, this fine football program comes to you twice a week. Matt Harmon will be in the chair on Thursday. I'm not sure who his guest is, but I'm Ooh. sure it's somebody lovely. Who wouldn't want to talk to Matt Harmon? Again, our thanks to Rich Rebar, Lord Reeves. Follow him on Twitter. Read his free stuff over at the Warren Sharp site. It's outstanding. You will be smarter. You will draft smarter. And uh, you'll just you'll sleep better at night. Rich Rebar is good people and has good football ideas. You can follow me on Twitter if you want. Scott underscore Pianowski. The Yahoo Fantasy account. Yahoo Fantasy. We got in on that before somebody could squat on it. For Rich, for producer Brett Raider, keeping us on the air and sounding great, I am Scott Pianowski, straight cash homie. We are out. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.